Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org, Brushbeater.org, Brushbeater Training and Consulting, and hosted by me, the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia. And I am joined today by a very close friend of mine, a guy that I have come to know in this uh, long, strange trip that is the, the prepping and survival and... Uh, you know, preparedness movement and and all of this, but a guy that that I really love as a brother in all this, a guy who has given me some really incredible advice over the years and has been 100% spot on 100% of the time and one hell of a damn good author on top of that. You all know him as Angry American, the best-selling author. <laughs> What's up, brother? Same old, same old, my friend. How the hell are you doing, bro? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. You know, we're you are the first guest on the first podcast of 2023. So happy new year. Happy new year. Well, when we start off like this, man, there's really nowhere to go but down. I mean, you you should have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean. 2022 was kind of an ass kicker dude um, I, a lot of yeah I, i've been i've been telling everybody you know now that 2022 is gone i'm gonna say happy new year and let's just hope we can forget that 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 whole stint between 2020 and 2022 let's just pretend it didn't happen well we could pretend that i i don't know i, I i'm the eternal optimist but 2023 is probably not going to be any more fun than 2022 was. No, um, the recession on, will be blowingly on, apparent for everybody. There'll be no more denying it here in the next couple months. So, you practitioner, yeah. what? But except for the the UW practitioner, uh, the unconventional warfare practitioner, it might be uh, kind of fun. Hey, I well, don't know. Hmm? Well, you know, um, I do like to train and take classes, and uh, I do a sporting, enjoy a sporting day in the field. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> Indeed, so. Indeed. Indeed. I think, uh, speaking of, of sporty days in the field, uh, man, it, there's, it, like, they, so tap dancing around it here, but there, there's so much going on in the world right now. Um you know, this when we say that 2022 or 2023 rather is not going to be uh, really any any better in, in by any metric than 2022, um, you know, all signs are pointing to some serious stuff hitting the fan come maybe this time next year heading into the summer. Um, there's a lot of moves that are being made right now by all all of the major players, you know, first, of course, the top of everybody's list right now, China, uh, China and Russia have launched joint war games, naval war games, and they're floating off the coast of Guam. Uh, they're really testing uh, their boundaries there. 
And uh, we also had the, uh, forgot the nomenclature on it, but the Chinese Flying Dragon, I think is the the reporting name for it, but I, I forgot the model number, but um, has broached Japanese airspace uh, as well. And uh, that triggered a, a scrambling of interceptors to, to try and force this thing out out of its airspace. So China is getting increasingly more aggressive. And, uh, you know, there, there's some folks out there that are saying, you know, maybe, um, you know, 30 days out. I personally disagree with that assessment. I don't think we're 30 days out from a, a, a hot war or them uh, invading Taiwan's mainland. I do, however, think that, that these uh, acts of aggression and these war games, which are just dress rehearsals, for the big dance um you know before we deployed we always went to ntc uh you know national training center out of fort Irwin. you know you're you're practicing for that deployment you're checking those boxes so um you know with all that said your assessment on china where where you think this is all going uh how you think that this is going to break down and you know if if at all possible, a timeline of events on uh, where you think we are on the road to war. Well, we've been we've been firmly marching down the road for some time. Um, it was it was funny to me to watch the shift in the House and the Senate go from the Democrats banging the war drum so so loudly when they're in the power and the Republicans trying to act mildly restrained. So we see this uh, last election. Now the Democrat, the Republicans are banging the war drums even louder than the Democrats were. Um, interesting how that happens. It seems to matter nobody, no matter who's home, someone's going to answer the door and pay for the war. You know, um, my my biggest concern for China right now is they're going to move on Taiwan. They're simply waiting for their most advantageous moment, and they're going to let us set that up for them. And that's probably going to happen when this new front opens up, kicks off out of Belarus. Um, and out of the Northwest, coming back down into um, Ukraine to try to take Kiev, because then we're going to unlock the gates to all the arsenals and send Ukraine everything that we possibly have. And China knows good and damn well that we cannot fight two wars at once. So as soon as the the you know the unlimited uh, supply of of arms starts to Ukraine, I think it's when China's going to do their thing. Um, and I'm sure him and Putin are talking about it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be conducting joint drills at the moment. Um, I'm sure Putin's talking to Xi about doing just that, hitting Taiwan to take the pressure off of him and Ukraine. Agreed. And, you know, <laughs> we, we saw a big difference in the body language just from the images that, that we saw between the meeting with Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. They had a much more, uh, I, I would say, mutual respect for one another. Uh, this is something that uh, Stan, also known as a Virginia gentleman over on uh, Council of Future Conflict and uh, Privy Council that I was on with uh, last Wednesday. This is something that we were talking about when we were breaking down that image. And, and when you compare the body language between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin to Biden, who, you know, is just sad by by every metric. I mean, the, the guy's he's out of his element, you know, and, and he, politics aside, political stuff aside, Biden 20 years ago might have been able to at least pull pull the look off, uh, you know, even if as a as a statesman, he falls flat, but he might have at least been able to keep up appearances. But that that's just not so now um yeah so when you, you take him or you take a guy like anthony blinken uh w which kind of prompts my next question related to you know the the uh the moves by belarus and and you know what we're seeing the developments in europe you've got anthony blinken going out there just before the new year saying that we we're not in afghanistan now so that we could better support europe we cannot support two allies at once and so when when we begin to analyze China and Chinese moves on Taiwan and, and the reunification, what they're calling the reunification, and then you begin to analyze the body language between each of these leaders when when they are photographed together, you know, that's really sending a strong message to the rest of the world. 
that pays attention to these kinds of things. It has a much longer attention span than we do here in the United States. And so with that said, what are your thoughts on Anthony Blinken's statement in basically saying we can't support two allies at once? How do you interpret that? I've, I've made some comments on, on some commentaries that I've heard. Um, in particular, I tracked the Ukraine stuff real close, and, and I've listened to what people are saying about Russia, what these talking heads are always saying about Russia. Um, and then that whole fiasco the other day where, where someone was talking about um, on Twitter, some some journalist released something about um, essentially sleeper cells that we had operating inside of Russia and Moscow and stuff. And it's and you always wonder, are these people this actually this stupid to be saying these things publicly? And And we know they're not. It's that stupid to say these things publicly. They say these things publicly for a reason. So essentially, they were giving tacit approval to China, which Biden has to do because he's completely in their pocket. And, and so is everybody else in that administration. Um, and on the Republican side, too. So many of them are as well. Um, they're firmly in China's pocket. Um, China, as we know, is playing a long game. What is it? 2045 is the year that they're aiming for, I think it is, um, to be the sole superpower on the planet. Um and they don't have to do anything, and they know they don't have to do it. They're just sitting back and watching us destroy ourselves. Um, and and it's kind of interesting knowing how the Chinese think and what their intentions are, watching everybody on our side do everything they can to fall over themselves to fulfill those goals that China has set. <laughs> so it's um, – it didn't happen by accident. You know, when Blinken said that, he was he was telling the Chinese, you know, hey, we're busy. Um, you know, we can't come help. So don't do nothing. You know, that would be bad. <laughs> I mean, come on. How, how much more ridiculous can we get? Well, and, and what leverage do we have? You know, that's that's really my question is what leverage do we have? Because diplomacy, the, the, the crux of diplomacy is what teeth are behind it. This is why, you know, for the, the history of nations, right, all the way back to the very beginning, the, the foreign diplomats, the, the people that you sent out to be diplomats are trained as spies. That's every diplomatic office in the history of, of diplomacy between nations. It has been a spy organization. That's, you know, so the reason you do that is because you come to the negotiating table with teeth saying, hey, you know, like we can be nice and we can smile at one another, but I'm going to stab you in the back. I'm trying to figure out how, you know, I can get one over on you because it's a negotiation. That's what's going on. And so with the State Department, what I see, and I'm, I'm no was no fan of Donald Rumsfeld at all. Um, you know, I, I was I, obviously I was no fan of his. Except people but, listened when he it, talked. Other nations did right. because they, they knew we were willing to back <laughs> it up with the stick, you know. Right. It, well, they, there was something very important that Donald's, Donald Rumsfeld made a reflection on when talking about the State Department. And that was something that Mike Pompeo would go on to say, but he, he said it in a different way during the Trump administration. But they, nevertheless, they were both exactly right, was that the contemporary culture of the State Department, when Donald Rumsfeld was the Secretary of Defense, was that your, your run-of-the-mill staffers and your diplomatic corps looked at working abroad as like, we need to bring – elements of this country back to the United States, that it was this fundamental view that the United States is culturally inferior in, in right. every way. And so when, when you're not, when, when you're no longer negotiating from the stance that I, I am a statesman, I am a statesman for my nation. You know, we, we live in the vein of Teddy Roosevelt, that America is the greatest nation on earth, Right. And so I'm going to going to stare you down because we're the arbiters of everything in the world. And we come from a, a place of cultural superiority, except that we can't do that. That's been erased. And that's been erased by the Ivy League. It trickled down to the universities. And so we no longer do that. And so Anthony Blinken is, a, to, at least to me, a very clear symptom of this larger 
the problem. And so when, when we have a guy like this, who is obviously weak need, he's, he's been a yes man his entire career. He's failed upward as every one of these people seem to do. Right. And, 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 and it's not political, you know, I, I, I can easily say that about both political parties uh, with, with a few notable exceptions, but when when you continuously have this and you have a guy like Anthony Blinken sitting across the table from Sergei Lavrov or the foreign minister of China, uh, his name escapes me. But when you have them sitting across from one another where one person is clearly acting in the interest of his nation <coughs> and the other is not, who is going to win 100 percent of the time? And so what what teeth do we have? In international relations, we, we don't have it. No, we've as far as the international relations aspect goes, I mean, we're becoming more and more isolated. Um, and it's not through an isolationist standpoint. It's because of, of, of these these idiot politicians we have. And, you know, I'm a fan of von Clausewitz, um, you know, and, and he famously said that war is simply diplomacy through other means. Um, the problem is our, I think our politicians and diplomats are forgetting that. That they're forgetting that war is an extension of politics or diplomacy. Excuse me. Um, Putin hasn't forgotten that. Xi certainly hasn't forgotten that. You know, the, the other leaders, Iran, they haven't forgotten that. You know, Iran's fixing to launch an aircraft carrier. Most people probably have no idea that shit's even happening. They're fixing to put one to sea, and I forget how many Japan or China's now put to sea. Um, and of course. Russia still has, you know, the smoke and Kuznetsov. That's the only carrier they got, that thing that you can see from satellite photos when it's on the ocean. So some countries like China are projecting power. Um, we still have the biggest military, the most technologically advanced military, although we are beginning to become eclipsed in that reality. And we cannot project force because nobody takes us serious anymore. The days of, of, of the United States sending a carrier group to send a message doesn't have the same effect it once did. Um, China knows we're not going to do anything to them unless they touch Taiwan, and they can see the the sun setting on the horizon on that one, and they're just waiting for that sunset. As soon as they know that we can no longer respond to their their moves in Taiwan, they're going to do it, and they're going to take the entire entire South China Sea with them, and probably Guam is my bet. We're, we're going to lose Guam in this deal, and it'll be a big big. You know, lots of gnashing of teeth and stomping of feet, but I bet Guam goes away too because China's going to try to eliminate every threat in the South Pacific to the, that they possess. So it's a, it, you're saying that that there's a distinct possibility that Guam could be the Pearl Harbor of the looming China-United States conflict. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think China's smart enough to know though that it, they're going to they're going to attempt the diplomacy first. Um, they will um, put an embargo against um, Guam, both air and sea. Nothing will be able to come in or out, and they'll, they'll tell us, look, you can get your people off. Um, we'll give you the time to get your people off. But, but you know, we own this now. And if you want to let your people sit there and rot, you can do that. But you're not coming off or off of this island ever again. You know, you can come off, but you can't come back on. Um, I think they would give time for that. I don't think they would just move in. Because if they moved in militarily and attempted a – either an airborne assault or or, or a, an amphibious landing, um, we would naturally meet that with, with defense, and that would lead directly to open conflict and give us the opportunity to do all the things we think we can do to the Chinese in the South Pacific. They're not that stupid. They're not going to meet us in a head-to-head -head, head -to -head fight. They're going to turn it into a media nightmare, um, much like Zelensky's doing with Ukraine, you know, where people are he's always on TV begging for money. Um, I, I don't think it'll come to blows immediately. Now, the, the the wild card in that is our response to it, um, our response to it. We know that if Putin was to surround Guam and, and threaten it, we know what we would do. But what are we going to do when Xi does it and demands that we abandon the outpost? That's my personal opinion, because it makes the most sense for him when he moves in Taiwan. What? They, it, I, man, yeah, I, I agree with that. And that I think that would signal the end. Uh, of th there would be a trickle down effect. There would be a cascading series of failures from that, uh, especially in the psychology of the American people. But what do you think the, the second and third order effect on NATO 
would be? I think, well, that NATO could very, very quite simply stand up and say, that's not our fight. We're NATO. We're not the South Pacific Alliance. We're the, you know, the Northern Alliance. And I think NATO would step out. Um, I know Australia would get real nervous, as Japan would as well. Um, Japan might be the ones to actually kick a ball, you know, and get this rolling if China tries to screw around. You know, the Japanese, people forget their history. The Japanese are a warrior culture. They're a homogenous society. They all look alike. They all speak the same language. They all have the same beliefs. That doesn't exist in many other places still today. So the Japanese have been subservient for 80 fucking years. They were beaten and they were looked down on. Um, they regained some of their some of their um, their spine simply through the commercial, you know, the industrial stuff, making money, selling to the rest of the world, taking the rest of the world's money. But we've been seeing this slow buildup of the Japanese defense forces, and now we're actually doing um, combined arms exercises with them and stuff. So. China wouldn't hesitate. China, in my opinion, is very much like Putin is in Russia. They're, they're, excuse me, Japan. Japan is Japan first. They're going to defend Japan. And and China right. knows that, but they also know they could take Japan if they wanted to. It would be a hell of a fight, but I mean, just through sheer numbers, Japan's going to lose. Although it would be a very it, lopsided body. They, they would want to. They, there's what a lot of people don't know about the the history of the later interwar period in, in between World War One and World War Two is at the conclusion of the Russo-Japanese War, uh, the the Imperial Russian and Japanese War, which was uh, leading into World War One. Japan was was obviously victorious in that, and became a global power as as a result. And when they did so, they began a very aggressive campaign of colonization uh, throughout the entire uh, Asian region. Yes, they did. And so this was extremely aggressive and very, very xenophobic in nature as well. Uh, You know, historically speaking, this it it was brutal. It it was absolutely brutal. Um, and, And it's something that we here in the West don't. Uh, aside from the uh, you know people that that are practitioners of history that that pay attention to this kind of thing, most people generally don't know. You know, when we think of World War II, uh, the you know we we think of war in the Pacific, um, you know the 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 raising of the flag and and uh, at Iwo Jima and and you know we we kind of conjure those images, but we don't understand the the history there and that history. And that culture is still very much alive. This is something I, I learned uh, when when I was living in Hawaii was exactly how xenophobic and and, and I don't mean that xenophobia normally has a, a very negative connotation to it. And I don't necessarily mean it that way uh, in, in a negative way. But it's that everybody that, that's in Hawaii, you have this this microcosm of, of all these different Pacific peoples. Right, that that are there together. All the different Asian cultures that are that are kind of there together, and they, um, it's very beautiful in in that they keep to their own and, and they have their own traditions, they have their own culture, and you can go and you you can experience that with uh, you know e- each of the different groups. It's just very very interesting to see all this in practice. And when you're doing that, you begin to realize that World War II, from their perspective. Whether it was China, whether it was Korea, Japan, you know, the, the Philippines, the Philippines were, were huge. Australia as well. The, you know, Guam with the Chamoran culture, they all had a very interesting take on that neocolonial period of Japan and Japanese expansion. And they, they are not going to let that go. And China especially looks at that as the the uh, the long march was very much against imperialist power. That was partly due to uh, the Han class, which now make up Taiwan as part of their revolution. But that was interrupted by the Japanese, and they saw the Japanese as an even more serious threat, 
culturally, they still view them that way. And so this is a very, very volatile situation and one that I think that when, when you look at the, the global economic stage, and this is something that I put up on Twitter, I've got it up on AmericanPartisan.org, you're talking about three of the largest economies in the world that are now staring each other down. Japan and the United States together as, as one, economies intertwined. China's economy is certainly intertwined with the United States as well. But we're looking at one another for, through an antagonistic means. And so th- this is th- this is going to cause not just military chaos, not just diplomatic chaos, but economic chaos as well. What say you? Oh, I, I agree entirely. The, the Chinese certainly have not forgotten about Nanking and they're not going to. So um, and, and China's demonstrating this with their their race around the globe in their acquisition of rare earth minerals and resources. I mean, that's what conflict comes down to. It comes down to access to land and access to resources. That's it. That's all conflict ever boils down to. In the animal world, in the human world, it's all the same shit. The Chinese are just wanting to control more of the resources. But it's also the world's fault for allowing one nation to become the industrial powerhouse of the entire planet. Um, I was I was in Texas not too long ago and was shocked beyond belief to see a, a functioning steel mill. I didn't know we still had any in the United States. Um, but when when China decides that they're already dumping dollars, we know that they're dumping the dollar, um, as as are other countries. Saudi Arabia is already talking about stepping away. They're they're in talks with Russia and other countries. Um, you know, Russia's already doing oil sales around us. Um, you know, our our the holy grail that has been the petrodollar is dying. We're watching it right now. It is happening. It's not when it's going to happen. It's happening. Um, <clears throat> and China realizes that they have the the financial upper hand um, is when we're going to be really be in trouble, uh, you know, because we're in a hybrid conflict with them now. The economic side of it's been welling right. away for years. Right, right. And, you know, that that's a good way or a good segue, rather, to, to be talking about BRICS and, and the current state of BRICS. You know, with with that economic fallout and the 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 kind of the, the end of Bretton Woods banking system, we're, we're, we're certainly headed in that direction or at least the current incarnation of it. Um, Bretton Woods originally was a good thing, it, it, you know, and it, and it was gold backed um, of of all of the economic agreements we made in, in the late 40s, of which there were several. Uh, that one at least made the most sense at the time. Of course, the, the current um, the the current incarnation of that is is kind of reaching its logical conclusion. And you know, the, there's been calls. The most recent one was in 2020 by the French government for a new agreement to realign the currency standards um, because the euro is reaching parity with the dollar. Of course, the petrodollar is um you know threatened now by BRICS for certain and anybody that that doesn't uh agree with that is is either blind or or just willingly dumb um but but either way if if anybody out there claims that that there is no threat to the United States dollar posed by BRICS um you know I immediately discard your opinion on pretty much anything because you're an idiot uh, if, if that is, you know, I'll be blunt with that one. If, if you think that, that BRICS poses no threat to the United States dollar whatsoever, um, you are a willing moron and you, you are a threat to yourself and everyone around you, uh, for your yeah, little yes, BRICS is, BRICS is certainly a threat and it doesn't help the fact that, you know, we're running printing machines 24 seven here. And while at the same time, uh, undermining the footers of, of of our financial institutions here. Yeah. Right. We're we're, and, we're and assisting so, in our own takedown. We're going to make this so easy for them when the day comes. Everybody wakes up one morning and the news is full of the dollar is dead and everybody's panicking. Some of us are going to be sitting around going, "Shit, took longer than I thought it would." <laughs> right. Right. And and that's why this this news story that came out just before the new year was so significant to me. 
they, that Vladimir Putin is now accepting oil payments. The Russian government's going to be accepting oil payments in local currencies. So whatever nations are buying fuel, whether it's sweet crude, natural gas, uh, you know, any of the things which Russia produces quite a bit, they can pay for that in their own currency. And so this is originally they were uh, the, the ruble is performing extremely strong despite having more sanctions placed on it than any other nation in contemporary history. And in case you don't know how sanctions work for the audience out there, Chris, I know you do, but they essentially have to pay more money to buy in their own currency to buy U.S. dollars in order to buy fuel. That's how sanctions work in a nutshell. I know there's a yeah, lot that's of what they tried. It's a bit that's of a, what they tried. Then right. they tried to put a $60 price cap on Putin's oil, and that didn't work out for him either. That didn't work either, and nothing's going to work with that because they understand they, they've looked at this through a very long term point of view that that this economic system is going to reach its logical conclusion and when it is based the value is based on very very little they they've grossly overvalued the u.s dollar in in long-term uh capability but also they see that you know our, our allies they, so saudi arabia for example saudi arabia is critical to the life of the U.S. dollar, right? That's why Saudi Aramco exists. And so when, when they begin to see the fractures that are developing between the Saudi Arabian government and the United States government, because th there's a pretty deep one right now. Yeah, there's still some issues there. Kashkagi still isn't settled as far as we're concerned, I guess. So. No, no, the, the New York Times is spy. Uh, yep. You know, it, it, which... Which, uh, you know, I wrote that a few years ago, and, and that article still gets a lot of attention. Uh, Tinker Taylor, uh, journalist spy, was, yep. was what it was titled. And, and I was taught basically chronicling the, the role of Jamal Khashoggi as a spy working uh, embedded in several different jihadist groups over the years and getting immunity from from a lot of things and that he activities that he had going on in the Saudi Arabian government and aligned with it uh and and you know I had a lot of people reach out to me that that are fairly famous it, it I'll put it like this it's names that you would know uh that I was completely taken aback when you know all of a sudden I'm getting emails from from people that you know normally ordinarily I never would have thought uh, would would read anything in you know our genre right. uh, of of uh, you know our, our our takes on anything and all of a sudden I'm getting some some pretty serious names that were reaching out you know several years ago when when that was hot and heavy and uh, you know they, they were they were very fascinated by that but the fact that Putin understands this is as a larger long term strategy that's going on. And I'm not saying that it's going to work. I hope that it doesn't because this is going to mean economic ruin here at home. The oh, yeah. problem is though, is that our, our government is appears to be completely uninterested in acting in its own self-preservation for the American people. Biden's getting their cut, right? You know, 10% to the big guy. You've got the catch up man, John Kerry making his cut off of this. You've got, you know, can't leave out the Republicans out of this. Of course, Mitch McConnell has gotten awfully wealthy off of his wife, Elaine Chow. Um, you know, and, and the list goes on and on and on of people who have been in, in, in the, the, uh, at the levers of power who've been in, enriching themselves. And we are the ones that, that are bearing the burden of this. And we're the ones who are going to continue to bear the burden of this. You know, so when Putin is accepting payment for oil in those countries' currencies, this is creating, yet again, a, a an open standard. And I think that this is a very good move, at least on their part, a pretty smart move, in addition to wanting their payment in gold. And so moving towards a gold standard, which we know that, um, uh, you know, Muammar Gaddafi was doing and and that, of course, right after that 
kicked off the Libyan revolution. Uh, we know how that ended. And, uh, you know, all, all of the OPEC nations, that was one of the things that he was urging them to move towards was a gold standard. And now you have Vladimir Putin that is doing that. I don't think it's out of the cards to say that BRICS may very well be a gold-backed currency because they've looked at the mistakes of the U.S. dollar over the past 80 years. What do you think about that? Um, I agree entirely. And, and with with some of those countries buying up the amounts of gold that they are, um, you know, they're walking the walk. What, what do you think about Guaido being, being ousted in Venezuela? Maduro finally shut him up. Well, he knows he Maduro knows that what the Wangwao is been in talks with the US State Department that he he represents a uh very serious threat to his power because you know you got to understand that that Nicolas Maduro is has been in talks with John Kerry of course they, you know they had their photo op um, I, I could venture to guess what was discussed behind the scenes. But when Juan Guado, you got to understand that Juan Guado was the darling child of Nikki Haley's yep. foreign policy. Yep. Specifically, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley was focused on South America and was building ties with different players in South America. Um, and that's why he presents such a specific threat. That there is an element, there is a faction of the Republican Politburo that is still talking to this guy, and they know that that you know should they get uh, a DeSantis presidency, um, you know a Mike Pompeo presidency, you know we we can't say maybe Donald Trump, but I don't know, I, you know, and that's not really a rabbit hole I want to go down yet, uh, but but naming off names of, of viable political candidates from the Republican side, uh, uh, Juan Guaido immediately is, it has been building a network to foster another color revolution. Yes, and so yes. by shutting him down, it, it, it absolutely. And, and he knows, uh, Nicholas Maduro knows that by shutting him down, you cut off the head of the snake. If you do that now, they're getting ahead of themselves, right? If yeah. you do this now, there is no more viable voice of the alternative. I mean, and, and this isn't complicated stuff either. I mean, if, if you read Animal Farm, uh, Orwell put it, you know, very, very well in allegorical terms when, uh, you know, Snowball consolidated power. And of course, that, that was an allegory for uh, Stalin and Trotsky. But, uh, you know, the, the same example rings true for this situation as well. Um, you know, it, it's when, when you are running a regime in the manner in which has been run in Venezuela, there is no room for dissenters. And, you know, to, to that point, too, how do we know? And this is entirely possible. How do we know that the Democrat Politburo wanted him gone? And also turned over the names because, I mean, with the revelations that we see coming out of the FBI, the CIA, the Twitter files, which nobody seems to want to talk about. It happened. It turned into a fart in the wind and now it's gone. The Ray mm -hmm. Epps revelations that happened yeah. over New Year's that we've been screaming at the top of our lungs. I don't know how many people in the alternative media have been screaming this for how long now? You know, I was out there saying, don't go to Washington. Don't go to these things. They're baiting you into something. I've been saying this kind of yep, thing. Yeah, I for said the years. same shit. Nobody would listen. Nobody yeah. would listen. Nobody would listen. And now look at they, they're framing something. And now here it is. They've been validated. Here it is. So how do we know to the point to the point as it regards uh, to to Venezuela? How do we know that in exchange for Venezuelan cooperation, they got the names of all the assets? that were working for Juan Guaido to foment that color revolution. How do we know? We, we oh, don't yeah. know, but it's entirely possible. Very much so. I mean, where we're, the United States is rather famous at this point for turning on those that, that we tried to assist, supposedly. 
like that thing I sent you yesterday with those seeker units being being bought off of eBay. Full yeah. of data. Granted, granted that data is 20 years old at this point, but that's still people's yeah, names yeah, and all their biometric data. You can find these people anywhere on the planet with this information. And yep. and that's shit that we left, we abandoned, and is now being sold on eBay of all places. And I bet you that thing cost a hell of a lot more than 70 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I uh I, I will say that um, equipment gets lost, as all equipment does in, in, in a war zone at some point in time. Oh, sure. And uh, somebody got a statement of charges for it, and it it was quite a bit more than $70. Uh, there, there was a, a Intel guy that was running the, the bats and hide system, and uh, which is what that, that device is, the biometric uh, collection system that that's what it is and he lost one and it you know that, that isn't all he lost that day he 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 lost his career that day too oh i bet he uh, did but yeah yeah it was but you know hey and, and, and i mean all those systems that we left behind um which were a lot you know we we collected up Afghanistan was a really good example of this because we collected up all this hide data, right? We had all this data of um, you know, every, and, and we did this in Iraq too, every uh, TCN or third country national that was a truck driver that did some sort of logistics work, whatever, they were right. all put in the hide system. Well, when, when those devices are left behind and, and they have a, a linking protocol with them, uh, so that that information is shared. Now all those people, when the Taliban took power, the, the reason those folks wanted to escape is because they knew that they were going to be looked at as collaborators, and right. there was going to be no amnesty for them. They, that that's not a thing in Afghanistan. And nope. so you know, culturally, that's not a thing. You're a collaborator. We got you. Remember the, the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan when the Soviets left? Remember how we left them hanging on tanks? That's going to be you because yep. the new incarnation of the Taliban is going to do the same thing as the old incarnation of the Taliban is going to do. And that's exactly what they've been doing. They've been clearing house. And, and they knew that. But the thing is, is that we haven't just used the Bats and Hyde system in Iraq or Afghanistan. We used it a lot of other places, too. And now that's that is one of the biggest, uh, I, I would say, uh, most critical intelligence leaks that we've had in, in recent memory. The OPM breach was another one, yep. uh, which which is just, you know, a, a extremely severe. And it's almost like to me, it's almost like people are just ignoring this. They're just, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of, I don't want to say numb to it, but they're almost indifferent because well, it, it's, it's, it goes, exactly, think, it's what we've come to expect. Well, I think it goes back to too what, what Musk is talking about with all the Twitter files where he's, he's asking the question of why isn't legacy media following this? Why isn't corporate media, you know, interested in this? Why are they so quick to protect the state and not expose the state for their wrongs like journalists used to do? And, and that's a big piece of it. People today get their information from Facebook or Twitter or Google or, or MSN or CNBC or CNN and Fox News or whatever. And whatever they hear from their preferred source in their normalcy biased bubble is the fact. And, and right. you can't convince them otherwise. Everybody does live right. in their own little echo chamber where they don't listen to the shit they want to hear that, that reaffirms their biases. And, and critical thinking is no longer a thing. You know, it's it's gone. It doesn't exist. And just on a side note, I'm scrolling through and I, there's a picture just released of Putin. He's in a suit, but he is clearly wearing plate armor under his suit. I think he's getting a little nervous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he, he's he's smart in doing so. Um, I mean, you know, we we and, and we can we can say this. OK. Um, you know, yeah, I get it. The, the, uh, the Ukrainians have been, uh, targeting different governmental officials in inside Russia. I understand. Uh, we've, we've been doing that. 
Okay, we've been doing that. There may be a Ukrainian badge on it, but we've been doing that. Other uh, countries are doing it as well. The British are definitely heavily involved in it. Uh, I would say the Danes are probably very deeply involved in it. Uh, The Baltic states certainly are as well. Lithuania. Uh, So he's he's right. You know, at this point, it would be. Uh, very wise of him to know that that he's got a lot of assassins that are going to be coming for him. I mean, you know, to be fair, the U.S. president does this as well. Um, it, sure. It's it's pretty standard practice. What is neat, what is neat about their body armor, uh, the the Secret Service body armor, is its compactness and the fact that that the way that it's worn, it's very very low profile. It, it's it's ultra low profile armor. Oh, I've got really, one. really. I've got one that. Um, oh, you got. One. I yeah, I have a I have a very deep cover set that that I have to use on occasion, accordingly. So, but yeah, I got a okay. deep set, set cover set that uh, even a frisk won't hardly reveal. They're pretty badass. Oh, it was. Yeah. Uh, it's not for public consumption. Let's leave it that way. Right. Right. Well, I, I mean, it, you know, it, it it's it's very wise of public figures right now. And, and, you know, this is the thing too, is that if if you're a public figure, politically speaking, I mean, the the thing is going vice versa. I mean, the Russians are are very active here in the United States as well. Uh, Russian assets absolutely are. And I'm not saying, you know, that, that, you know, if you live in a place that has a lot of Russian influence, it's, it's bad at all. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, We would be idiotic to assume that there are not Russian actors from the GRU, from the FSB, who are absolutely running amok right now here in the United States. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, you know, just the other day, there, there was a news story that came out, um, I think it was on uh, the 27th, 28th of December, that Russian and Cuban people are crossing the border. They're crossing the border. They 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 are openly crossing the border. And and our border with Mexico is literally an open door. You know, and, and when Title 42 expires, it's gonna be even worse. Right? This is gonna be even worse. I you know and, and at this point I don't even think Title 42 even matters if it's even relevant anymore. I mean all the pundits are talking about it. Well we just caught a but stay. The judge have, the judge just ordered a stay on that. So it has to it remains in place for the moment. So Right. For for now. For the moment. But yeah. When you have Russian and Cubans, right? Russians and Cubans oh, yeah. across the border from Mexico. You don't think and that's just the ones that we caught. Why are they doing that? Well, uh, and, and, and we can go we can go yeah. back a little further. We both have read Spetsnats. We both understand the plan laid there out in. And we are solidly inside the pink phase. Just go back to all the food manufacturing facilities that burned down last year. There's over 100 of them. It's still on. I mean, yeah, it's still going on. It didn't stop. That's no, solidly in the stop. pink phase of operations. Well, Navy Yard. Navy Yard in D.C. Just yeah. had uh, what what looked like to me. I saw the blast crater from that at, at the skating rink in Navy Yard. Uh, was looking at it uh, late last night, and that blast crater looked like um, it was a little too uniform to have been a pipe bomb. Uh, but whatever it was, you know, possibly a hand grenade. Uh, but, but some sort of explosive device for sure. Oh, you know, really? as of this recording, yeah, it, you know, it, that, that went off, um, uh, you know, right there in DC, they, there are all these activities by foreign assisted actors that are going on right now. And oh, so yeah. in, in United States currently, we, we are already socially, we're, we're at the boiling point. With there is no there's no unity among, you know, what makes us American and treating everybody right, you know, and and, you know, we we have all these problems. Right. We have all our political problems, which are manufactured. And now you have foreign assets that are very blatantly working in the United States to create destabilization. I mean, if you're looking at this from an unconventional warfare model, 
we're in a whole lot of trouble, whole heck of a lot of trouble. And so I just can't see how anybody right now would be burying their head in the sand and saying, hey, you know, ah, yeah, nothing's going to happen. Uh, hang on a minute. Oh, there was a, sorry, I just caught something. There was a full ground stop for all aviation in the state of Florida. Somebody was doing something. Oh, yeah. They put everybody on the ground. I didn't know that. I've been out of the loop communication-wise for a little bit. Sounds like they're flying again now, but something did a full ground stop in the state of Florida. That's interesting. It is. It is, and pretty serious. Um, pretty doggone serious. Yeah. You know, and... I mean, it, it's it's not wrong to come to the conclusion now that 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 is suspect, right? That that all these things are suspect. Yeah, I mean, look they, at the Southwest. Yeah, it's, you know, it's sad that I, I I was telling somebody the other day. It's sad that we now live in a time where we know that anything our government tells us or the media that when we hear it, we got to be like, that's probably bullshit. I need to find out what's going on. Like we know the moment we hear it from them, we can't believe what they're telling us. Right. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing. A lot of people are beginning to learn that with all of the media outlets, okay, you, you know, pick whichever one you like the most. Um, you know, Fox News, a lot of people really, you know, oh, but Fox News, they're, they're all over it. Yeah, hold up. Um. Yeah, you, you're people are beginning to learn that they're in on it too. Uh, it, it just so happened that their uh, their their shtick, so to speak, was a really good one and a very effective marketing tool. Yes. But they're they're 100 in on it. Yep, I agree. I agree. It's it's just a weird time. You, you know, we watched, you know, you and I and there's others of us out here that are watching all these things that are taking place. And and it's just like, how can people be going about their normal days pretending all is fine? And, and I know it's normalcy bias and and they don't want to know because then if they know, then they got to do something about it. But it's just right. it's startling to me to see how many people so badly don't want to be informed. It is, um, it, uh, but for those people who don't want to be informed, I don't think that there's a lot you can do to bring them around at this point. That's why I really just focus on the people who, who do get it and, and who do value it and who are willing to say, hey, you know, I might be a little bit late to the party, but hey, better late than never. What can I do? You know, what what is my starting point? And so, you know, going into the final segment here, uh, coming up on on uh, just over 50 minutes. What would you suggest to the the brand new person just popped up out of the sand and says, hey, you know, I, I, I've had my awakening. I get it. You know, and, and there's there's a lot of information out there that can quickly overwhelm folks. How would you process that and distill it down and tell people, hey, this is what you need to do now in extremis to get yourself more prepared? The, the first thing that I would suggest to everybody, and this is not the cool thing people want to hear, is do everything you can possibly do to get yourself out of debt first. Um, last year, finally, I've, my house is paid for. Our vehicles are paid for. I'm out of debt with, my, with just minor credit card stuff, which I can pay off, too. But I am officially out of debt. Um, that's the first thing. Then the second thing is, is to, you got to take and evaluate your situation, your circumstances. Because I can't tell you what to do. Tell me where you live. I don't know your skill set. I don't know the liabilities you're dealing with being family members who may have medical issues or whatever. Um, but but the, the idea is to be able to continue to live. And to be able to continue to live, what do we need to be able to do? We need to be able to eat food every day, drink water every day, process our waste every day, provide for our security and our medical concerns, maintain our core body temperature. Those are the things we got to do to survive every day. And, and if you look at it that way, security obviously is in there too, but you know, if, if you don't have a rifle, you still need to eat food. You know, if, if you don't have ammunition, you still need to take a dump. You know, um, if you don't have right. a safe structure, you still need to drink water. You need to focus on these things. And for people who are just getting started, I mean, go out and get a copy of uh, Decline and Decay, Strategies for Surviving the Coming Unpleasantness. It's a whole reason Alan Kay and I wrote that book. 
It's kind of a 20,000 foot view. It doesn't get down in the weeds. It checks the big boxes. And there's also some stuff in there to prepare you mentally for what you're about to deal with. Um, a lot of people forget that that side of the coin. You know, we live a very pampered, privileged, comfortable, soft life. Um, and, and suddenly being ripped from that and thrown into one that could potentially be much more violent and chaotic um, is going to take an adjustment period. Um, but those organisms that can adjust to the new environment the fastest are the ones that survive. That's the one piece of advice I'd give everybody right now would be learn to be adaptable and learn to do so quickly. Agreed. Agreed. It's something we used to call Semper Gumby. You know, you, you, all right, so you're a good trigger puller already. Cool. You know, I can make a good trigger puller in, in a couple of days. Yeah, you know, yeah. You give me an afternoon, I can make you a competent shooter. Competent, not super good, but competent. I give you a rifle and you can shoot at people. I can do that. Um, you take somebody you need to teach them to be a gardener. It takes more than a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and making somebody an electrician. You can't do that in an afternoon. No, it's it's, it's not possible. And you, you can't know, watch enough YouTube videos to make you competent, which which was bring us around full circle. Now, you know, you and I have, have done several of these together, and you and I have trained together. We spent time in the woods together and stuff. Yeah. Get out there and do the things, guys. Do the things. Matt is one of the greatest instructors I've ever trained with because of the way he does it. He's a natural teacher. I don't possess that ability. I, I can teach, too. I'm an instructor as well. But I prefer to bring in instructors who are better at teaching than I am because I'm not the greatest teacher. Um, I know the stuff. It's, it's the passing along part. But I do my best, too. Next year, I'm going to be on the road all year. Uh, we're going to be hooking up to our lovely camper to my truck and we are leaving and we're going to stay on the road all year. We'll be doing classes all over the country as well as visiting, hanging out, taking classes and doing some videos in some cool spots with some cool companies. Um, but we're going to be on the road yeah. giving classes too. And I need to look at your calendar because I'm trying, I'm working on mine now. Uh, I'm going to make them cross paths at a couple points. So yeah, we, we gonna, we're going to get them cross paths and, and get them lined oh, you up. No, know, you know, we're going to cross paths. <laughs> It's, I need, it's I need always to ride around the fire with my whisk, whiskey grail in my hand and a bottle at my feet, bro. That's right. That's right. That's right. Brother, I am always humbled by your kind words that you have. Uh, you know, that that is it really means a whole lot to me um, to 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 not just know you and, and be close friends with you and, and, you know, have that working relationship that we have with one another, but, but I'm very humbled by your kind words as well. Um, you know, I, I think that, that you are a consummate professional. You, you know, you, you've, you have certainly built, uh, such an incredible, wonderful thing that has given so much to so many other people out there of the going home series. I have a lot of people tell me all the time that your book, between you and uh, James Wesley Rawls, you two, the two of you, uh, and I'm going to try and get him on uh, here in, in the near future as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, again, and you know, we've we've done three podcasts in the past, but the two of you have really got more people awake to the conditions of the world, gotten them started in preparedness than anybody else. Far and away, the work that y'all have put in through your books have got more people prepared than anybody else. And I hear that all the time. And so, you know, to, to, uh, be as, uh, you know, it, it, meeting you when, it, when I met you, chance meeting, sitting around a campfire. Uh, and, and I, I'll, I'm never, ever going to forget that all my days that was Me neither. <laughs> such an incredible evening of hanging out. It's so much fun. Uh, it, it's one of those deals when you meet somebody and you know you're a kindred spirit. That yeah, that is we, we all we owe all that to John because he called me and said, "Hey man, I'm doing this thing, and you need to come up because there's somebody coming that you really need to meet." And uh, yeah, man, and he was spot on, yeah. brother. <laughs> he told me the same thing. He said, "You better be here. There's somebody you gotta meet." Yeah, he said, "There's somebody yeah, you gotta uh, meet," and he nailed it. And and you know, I, yeah, I'm a I'm a 
I'm just a man among giants with, with some of you guys with what you do. And, and I've heard the same things from people. And when I wrote the, the book, it was never the intention. I never had any idea anything like that was going to occur. And, and yes, I like to make money. We were talking business before this. I like to make money. And I love to hear people tell me they like the books. But, man, when I get those messages, those phone calls from people are like, man, I lived in L.A. I sold my house. I sold everything. We bought property in Missouri. I'm homeschooling my kids now. We're homesteading. In two years, we're going to be completely self-sufficient. And I'm just like, man, that's awesome. Like that, that you read the, the words in those books that I wrote. With that, with that kind of a thought in mind, really, when I was writing them, but right. but that they were so profoundly impactful for, for you that it altered the entire trajectory of your life. I mean, that's a huge thing to hear from somebody, to have them really? say to you. And I've done this on several occasions, too, and I'm not saying it's to be braggadocious. It's actually something that it touches me dearly, and I've done it three times, and that's to get a message from somebody that they've got a relative who's been a huge fan of my work. They love my work. They're in hospice. They don't have much more time. And they're asking to talk to me. And I always make those phone calls every single time. So it's, they suck. They really do. That's a, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. It's a powerful thing. And so that lets you know, you know, that you've had impact on folks. Um, And then, you know, some of those calls are a lot of fun, even though what they are. I mean, I, I try to be lighthearted. I, I had one old guy laughing so hard that the nurses finally just stepped in and said he can't do this anymore. Um, <laughs> literally, like the nurses, she's just like, look, we can't let you talk to him no more. He's got to go. Um, and then one 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 was a, a guy's mother, and, and she was in her 80s, and she loved my books. And she just and I talked to her for, for an hour and a half on the phone just because she has to. And and that's a humbling thing. That That's a profoundly humbling thing <laughs> for me personally anyway. It really so is, man. We do, really Matt, have an impact on folks. You have a tremendous impact. Um, I love taking your classes because, like I said, you genuinely are a high-quality instructor. Plus, you're just a hell of a lot of fun to hang out with. And and for all you guys, <laughs> how do I do no yeah, that's the best part, man. <laughs> That's the uh, real reason. You never know. You never know what's gonna happen at a class. No, you don't. You, you don't know what's gonna go down in a training <laughs> class. You never have any idea what's gonna go down. But it's like but the Florida class turned into Lord of the Flies out there. We're like, we we killed this hog, man. Oh no! <laughs> I get a picture in the middle of the night. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, you guys actually did it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were able to just randomly killed a hog. It was like, oh, it's here. Let's kill it. He yeah. unzipped his tent, stepped out, drew his pistol, fired one round, dead hog. <laughs> <laughs> Drop that. That's awesome, though. But that's the that's the cool part, see, because you get it, I get it. Where do I meet like-minded people? Take a training class. Put your money where your mouth is and take a training class. It's the best prepper groups that, that I've encountered. The best. And I mean, you were, far and away, the best ones. The best the ones that met one another at class. Like, they, they went to class. And I'm not just saying, like, mine. You know, Any with, with anybody's. There was, uh, you know, Carl Erickson, Tactical Rifleman. They, there was a group that guys, they, there was a group that I know not that long ago. And I'm not going to say where they were. But they know who they are. And they're, they're listening to this podcast. But they they met at his class. Yeah. At one of his classes, it was a precision marksmanship class he was doing where they were, uh, you know, I, I jokingly, when you described it to me, I jokingly called it the kayak trick from hell because uh, it's, it's, that's what it sounds like. It's, you know, kayak oh, oh, no, they were they were doing his SOE, his, his special operations experience. Um, yeah, that's I'm no, I'm yeah. not that one. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. Oh, yeah. 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 They, they, had, they had went to that one and that's where these guys met up. Mm. And uh, those are brutal experiences. Great group of dudes, man. Yeah, just a great group of dudes, and yeah. and forged. Those groups yeah. are forged, and I've got, and it's uh, so I've got cool. friends that, that every time I go take one of his classes, I see the same dudes. Like it's like coming home. Yeah. Hey, what, what the hell's going on? You know, made friends at this last one in Texas. Met a great guy. Yeah, uh, a real walking conundrum because when you look at this dude, he's six foot two. 
cowboy head to toe, then he opens his mouth and he sounds like he's from London. So um, really threw me for a loop. <laughs> but a hell of a guy. And I love the dude. And uh, good shooter, yeah. nice guy. And that's how you meet people like this, is you take these classes and you get to go hang out with guys like Matt. Occasionally me, I'm around too sometimes, but we're going to be doing classes this year as well. But like I said, my calendar and yours will overlap and we will be together somewhere in the country this year a couple times. Amen, brother. Because I'm going to well, fucking Northwest. I've never been and I'm going to go ahead and do it, I guess. It's fun. It's fun. I I, I like the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, it, it especially among conservatives, it gets... Uh, kind of a bad rap for, you know, obvious reasons, Portland, Seattle, you know, I, okay. But I'm going to tell you, man, there, there is great people in every corner of this country and the Pacific Northwest is a beautiful place and it's got some wonderful people up there too. Um, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is that even though, you know, you know, Seattle, Portland, et cetera, gets gets a lot of negative press for for all the left wing stuff that that it's typically connotated with. There's a lot of great conservatives living there too, you know. And, yeah, and, I know there are. It's a tough yeah. fight, um, but but yeah, it, just, I'm gonna tell you, it, it's an awesome place up there. It really is. Well, we're going. We're gonna we're gonna go up the East Coast as far as Virginia to start with, because uh, I can't go into the communist states, and then we're gonna figure some other stuff out from there. Start heading west. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, brother, as always, it is such an honor to have you on getting getting your thoughts on the world because, you know, a lot of people, your, your name and, and your thoughts on everything carries a whole lot of weight in the world. And not only that, I just like getting an afternoon to be able to talk to you. Hell yeah. We don't get to do that enough. You know, we need to do it more for sure. But, you know, Dude, I'm like everybody else out there. I listen to your podcast. AP is a site I go to every day, one of my news sources. Um, I try to disseminate news. I'm going to do a better job of that this year. I'm going to get back into the social media saddle and, and be putting stuff out and be doing some intel reports for people and things like that. Um, but, you know, because, yeah, the, the more people we can get to see it now, because all we're doing, all of us guys, is we're just softening our crash. We're all going to crash. You know, we're all going to hit the ground real and really damn hard. We're just trying to make some of us maybe just slide in on our bellies, you know, and we don't get hurt as bad. But this is going to hurt everybody. And and you need to realize that. I don't care how prepared you are. There's there's some suffering ahead. And uh, we don't know when. That's right. But it's coming. It is. It absolutely is. And unfortunately, I think it's coming sooner rather than later. But with that said, folks. Keep your head on a swivel, rushbeater.org slash training calendar. You can find all the courses that are up there. I have a lot of dates here in 2023 now. Um, we'll be adding some dates to that. We've got some other guys who are going to be running classes at my place. I'm going to have those uh, course dates up as well. And um, with that said, folks, don't despair. But definitely be paying attention to what's going on in the world because it is going to matter. And I think there is no critical time uh, than right now here in 2023. I think it's going to be a pivotal year in American history. God bless all of you. Good night. I'll talk to you again very, very soon. This is NC Scout. Out. <laughs>